Hello and welcome to Quilt Achievement's Markets Uncut podcast, your weekly insight into the topics and trends that we have been exploring for you here at Quilt Achievement. Remember, so you don't miss future episodes, be sure to hit the follow button on whichever streaming platform you're listening on or by following hashtag QC weekly comment on LinkedIn. I'm your host, Tom Perks, an investment manager based out of our Birmingham office. And this week, I'm delighted to be joined by regular podcast guest Richard Carter, our head of fixed interest research, and Nick Wood, our head of investment fund research. Good morning to you both. Uh, Richard, as we normally do, I'll start with you first and uh, we'll have a look at the uh, the macro trends that we've been seeing here at Quilt Achievement. And I think it's, it's fair to say it was a bit of a quiet week last week with regards to the data, but still a couple of talking points for us. Uh, firstly, the US um, ISM numbers, which are out on Monday, and um, they made for pretty grim reading. Uh, seventh consecutive month where they've been in contractionary territory. And, you know, looking back, other than a, a short blip in 2020 during the, the early stages of the pandemic, uh, we're now seeing re- readings that we saw in the years following the global financial crisis. Uh, if these don't improve, then um, surely we're staring down the barrel of a recession, aren't we? Uh, potentially. I mean, you know, it's it's fair to say that uh, some of the data, you know, particularly last week, was a little bit on the soft side. And I, and I guess we shouldn't be too surprised, right? I mean, we've seen this sort of massive uh, increase in interest rates over the last year or so. So you would expect to see some kind of softening in the data. But I, I wouldn't say um, it's been too bad. The one area that's certainly holding up pretty well at the moment is the uh, labour market. So actually, that still looks pretty strong, still looks pretty tight, which is why the Fed may not actually be done raising rates uh, just yet. We'll have to we'll have to wait and see on that. Um, but there clearly is, you know, increased expectation of a recession in the States as, as the year goes on. But I don't think a lot of investors are going to believe it, as long as we're getting sort of very strong non-farm payrolls numbers. I think that's really the one we've got to watch. When, when that starts to weaken, I think um, people's kind of belief that a recession is on the cards will sort of increase. But, but for now, there are some uh, doubters who think, you know, we will just continue to carry on uh, a reasonable steady growth rate and avoid a, a hard landing. We'll have to, you know, have to wait and see on that. Yeah, that's quite interesting because this sort of soft ISM data was was pretty hot on the heels of some pretty strong employment data only the the Friday before just the weekend separating the two readings and I I think just off the top of my head it was almost double what the market was expecting in terms of the non the non-farm figures so there's been a lot of talk hasn't there about what kind of a recession if any will get a hard landing or a soft landing you know we're all hoping for ideally no recession but if we're going to get one then we'd rather have a have a soft landing do you think that there's a possibility that the sort of the strong employment data and the the weaker manufacturing data could actually cancel each other out and, and we end up coming out of this okay? Possibly. I mean, I, I would say that, you know, looking back at history, the sort of PMI's manufacturing data are more leading indicators and uh, job job numbers are lagging indicators and normally it's the last thing to go. So, um, I mean, I can understand why, you know, people look at the jobs data and say, you know, companies aren't, aren't uh, letting workers go. They're still hiring. Things things are still pretty good. 
Um, and as I say, that's something that's pushing the Fed potentially to raise rates by further. But I would stress that uh, the jobs numbers are normally the last thing to go. So I think it's, it's possibly, um, you know, when you're looking at leading indicators like PMIs, like also credit conditions as well, uh, things like that. I'm afraid those don't look quite so good. But uh, yeah, as I say, the, the jobs numbers are still holding up. Okay, thank you. Um, Moving from the world's largest economy to the world's second largest economy, um, we saw some pretty soft data out of China as well uh, last week. Um, A seven and a half percent year on year contraction in in exports, Um, import data also missed estimates. So I, I think the question I have is that, you know, we were all expecting this um, you know, pretty seismic rebound in economic activity coming out of China with the reopening at the end of 2022. Has it, is it a case of that's failed to materialise or are we being a bit premature and we need to wait a little bit longer for that to actually feed through to the wider Chinese economy? I mean, it's a good question. I mean, I think we have seen a bit of a rebound, but I think everyone got their sort of uh, hopes up massively that we were going to see some sort of huge uh, jump in Chinese activity and the stock and the Chinese stock market would go be off to the races very quickly. And I think um, it hasn't really lived up to expectations. I mean, w- what you mentioned about exports last week, um, that they were disappointing, but often, you know, those are reflecting more what's going on around the world and kind of global demand for sort of other you know, Chinese products rather than necessarily what's going on domestically in China. Um, and certainly, um, but certainly the fact that global growth is a little bit sluggish in some areas is, is not helping the Chinese recovery. Um, the other thing in the sort of past, it would, the Chinese growth would be driven by, you know, lots of investment, lots of infrastructure, building airports, railways, all the rest of it. Times have moved on. They're not looking to do that these days. It's more of a sort of domestic uh, retail driven uh you know economy and i maybe perhaps perhaps you're right perhaps we do need to give those sorts of things a little bit longer to uh to work so i mean i think what we can look forward to in the next next few weeks the market's certainly starting to think about this is that um if if growth is too slow in china the government will get a bit nervous that uh they're going to miss their growth targets right so uh we could see some sort of uh, you know stimulus either lower interest rates or, or, or other measures from the government. But certainly at the moment, things aren't uh, turning out as people had hoped. All right, interesting. Thank you. Um, we'll move uh, a little closer to home now. And um, certainly Friday was uh, another interesting day in, in UK politics with uh, Boris Johnson, once again, the sort of centre of attention as, as he likes to be. Um, So obviously, Boris handed in his resignation on Friday. Uh, Similarly, a slightly less renowned politician, Nigel Adams, did the same, joining Nadine Doris, who'd done so earlier in the week. Um, I don't think these three resignations will have a huge impact upon Rishi Sunak and the Conservative Party. But what we are probably going to have is three by-elections, most likely probably on the same day. And do you think that markets will will actually be paying quite a bit of attention to these by-elections because it could give us uh, an insight into how voters may well uh, vote in the upcoming general election? Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, it's interesting, you know, uh, the, the weekend sort of news, Boris Johnson uh, 
uh, quitting as an MP, and now obviously Nicola Sturgeon's got her own problems as well. And it kind of seems like the, the the people who have been at the forefront of the political world the last few years are kind of exiting the stage, and and you know what I mean. And uh, things are moving in a different direction. I think I think um, uh, a lot of the country and, and politics, in a way, has, has moved on a little bit from Boris Johnson, and uh, and, and um, won't be too uh, you know won't be too affected necessarily by what what's happening uh to him personally uh, but um i mean in terms of the by-elections yes uh, i mean you never quite know really some of these different uh individual seats how much you can then extrapolate that more generally into you know sort of mar- the marquee marginals that will be kind of uh contested when the when the election finally comes around but i think yeah certainly there will be a pension attention paid to it Still potentially some time to go to the election. I mean, it's difficult to know exactly when it will be, but potentially September next year would be my guess. And I don't I don't think the big picture has, has really changed. You know, Rishi Sunak seems to be kind of a safe pair of hands. He, he's trying to deal with all the various problems that the country's got. But so far, he's not got much political credit for it, if you look at in the polls. And uh, unless he's able to change that, then looks like we're going to be heading for a you know Labour government probably at some time later next year. Yeah, it's interesting, uh, you know, having a quick look at the constituencies, they're all uh, fairly sort of um, safe, what you would probably classify as safe seats for, for the conservative candidates. So, uh, you know, I don't think anybody's probably expecting them to lose these seats, but a, a decent swing sort of towards Labour or Lib Dems in, in either of those seats could be, you know, extrapolated for for the country, uh, for countrywide, really, couldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. But uh, yeah, no, it should be should be quite interesting. I'm sure um, Rishi Sunak, as I think he's been doing today, doing his best to distance himself from Boris Johnson. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, if if the rest of the Tory party fall in behind him. Yeah, I I, I doubt that this um, upcoming report has uh, is going to be a glowing uh, endorsement of his time as uh, as Premier. That's for certain. Um, before we move on to Nick, um, just a quick word. Um, on the Fed, because this week, probably the, you know, the main event really of the week is the upcoming um, Federal Reserve meeting will give us an idea of, um, of what the Fed are going to do uh, with regards to interest rates. Now, I think we're, we're probably expecting a pause um, in interest rate rises. But then what we saw with the Bank of Canada and uh, Central Bank in Australia as well, uh, slightly unexpectedly raising rates. Is there a, a real possibility that the that the Fed could also do the same and, and the market be caught offside a little bit? Yeah, there is that risk, uh, and and I think actually some of the you know still there are still some investment banks out there and, and, and forecasters who think the Fed is going to raise rates this week. We'll we'll see. Personally, I think it, it makes sense for them to pause. They, they've uh, inflation's been coming down. They've raised rates a lot already. Some of the data's you know been a bit soft. You know why not why not take it. A wait and see approach uh, and see how the data develops. But I mean, we do also have inflation inflation numbers out in the States this week. So if they're a stinker, then uh, that might change things at the last minute. But you'd be right. The um, uh, You could say the same for Canada and Australia. They would have been expected to take a pause and, and, and let the data develop, but uh, decided to uh, to crack on and raise interest rates anyway because they're still worried about inflation. So it's possible the Fed does the same, but I think uh, markets gearing up for for a pause and then ECB or European Central Bank likely to raise rates as well this week. So you know, lots going on. Yeah, all all eyes on the Fed um, on Wednesday evening. Um, thanks, Richard. That's great knowledge and, and insights as always. Um, I'll move on to Nick now, who's been patiently waiting in the wings. Um, 
as mentioned, Nick is our head of investment fund research, but he also specializes in Japan and is responsible for our fund strategy in this market. And it's Japan that we're going to be talking about today. So, Nick, hello there. Um, Nick, from, from an investment manager's perspective, uh, Japan hasn't really been a region we've got overly excited about, particularly maybe over the last five years or, or perhaps longer. But it's, you know, it's an important market. It sits as a sort of a standalone region. It isn't consumed within a sort of wider continental market like, you know, Europe or, or Asia or emerging. And it really has been in the, the headlines a little bit over the last couple of months. Performance has been very, very strong, um, perhaps one of the, the strongest performing markets out there. So can you tell us what's been going on and what's been driving this this mini bull market in Japan? Yeah, sure. Certainly, Tom. Uh, and thanks for having me on. I, 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 um, you, you mentioned there Japan being its own region. It re- sort of reminds me if you, uh, if you go all the way back to the uh, Japan bubble, you'd have found uh, Japan was about 45 percent of uh, global indices and uh, uh, you know, well above the US. So uh, it's a long time since uh, since then. And, and to be honest, it's been a long time since we've had quite so much interest. So, um, um, you know, Richard was talking about China uh, earlier and uh, you know, all the excitement was about the China reopening at the start of this year. But but what we've seen, actually, is Japan has been the star performer. So uh, UK investor, um, uh, you know, in sterling terms, you've got a, an 8% return from MS, uh, MSCI Japan. And actually, for a Japanese investor um, investing in yen, um, the market locally is actually up 19%. So it's been a really strong performer. Um, you know, there's always lots of factors that go into sort of driving a market. Um but I mean, two two I'll I'll pull out here that, that are interesting. Firstly, I, I call it the Buffett effect. Um, so about three years ago, Warren Buffett took his first um, uh, stake in in Japanese companies, uh, trading companies, and and um, uh, in April this year, he stepped off a plane in Tokyo and and um, you know declared he was he was buying more. And and I guess that that does get market participants excited for for obvious reasons. Uh, um, so that that was you know one factor. The second one's a bit more technical actually. So um, uh, so bear with me slightly on this one. So I mean I think everyone would agree Japan has looked looked cheap for a, for a long time, and and there's a large number of companies that trade below their accounting book value. So the the, the value the value on the stock market is worth less than their accounting book value. Um, they have a price to book of less than one. Um, now, the Tokyo Stock Exchange has recently firmed up some rules whereby um, if a company wants to retain its status in the prime index, it's got to outline some plans uh, if its price to book is less than one of how it's going to get the, that valuation up. So, um, uh, you know, essentially, uh, you know, the threat is if, if you if your valuation remains so low, we, we will um, we will remove you from the index. And and so that's caused quite a lot of companies to start outlining plans in terms of how they're going to do that and so what might they do well it might include buying back stock it might uh, it might be paying out special dividends increasing dividends um there's also quite a culture in japan of um of cross shareholding so a japanese company uh you know it might have a holding in uh, um in its customer uh, or vice versa uh its supplier um it, you know it might uh you know banks uh, uh might have holdings in in those they uh, provide loans to and vice versa so these cross shareholdings are quite a feature of uh of, of japanese equity market and uh, and selling these down reducing these cross shareholdings is a, a, another feature so um 
that that's got a lot of you know i speak to a lot of uh japanese equity managers ones we're invested with and, and one not and and i would say i haven't seen quite the amount of excitement as i've seen about this measure for a long time and, and there are some real examples of companies making these moves and and their share prices sort of appreciating so those are the two sort of um uh, uh key factors but it's certainly it's certainly driven you know um uh, more more interest in japan than i've i've seen for a good while yeah, really interesting. Some really good points there. Um, what about the currency? You mentioned there the you know the the divergence in returns for a, a sterling based investor and a, a domestically um, a domestically based investor in Japan. So what's what's the yen been up to recently? Yeah, well, I mean it's at, at the opposite end of the spectrum actually. So um, it, it, um, Japanese markets done well. The yen has continue to weaken and, and it's on multi-year lows at the moment and you know m- most mostly we, you, you compare that to the dollar but equally sterling uh, um, you know sterling is, is is relevant for us as uh, you know UK based in, investors um, why is that well you know we were talking about the uh, the Fed earlier and uh, interest rates in the US well the Bank of Japan has kept a very tight rein on bond yield so if you take the uh, the 10 year Japanese government uh, bond is pegged at 50 basis points. And, and if you just compare that to uh, the UK and US, you know, such a disparity there. Uh, you know, it's clear why it's it's more attractive to invest overseas as a, a Japanese investor uh, or, or why not to buy uh, Japanese government bonds. Now, the question is today, you know, is that policy going to change? We've had a change in the Bank of Japan governor uh, a couple of months ago. Um, Inflation is coming through in in uh, in, in in Japan uh, in a more measured way than uh, uh, elsewhere, and and really, um, you know, there is an expect expectation in the coming months that, that maybe that peg might move, that that the bond yields will will move up, and, uh, you know, and that will have an impact uh, on the uh, on the yen and and, and potentially um, strengthen it. You know, uh, that that might have a, a a negative impact on on those exporters in Japan, but I think you know, as sat here as a a UK investor, you know, if you own uh, investments in uh, in Japan and and the yen um, strengthens, you know that that's uh, you know that's going to uh, result in a stronger return, most likely for for you as a, a holder of those Japanese assets. Excellent, that's that's great. Thank you, Nick. Um, so looking ahead, um, what do you think the prospects are for for Japanese economy and and the Japanese stock market over the next twelve months? Yeah. Um, well, there's a lot going in, uh, on in Japan right now. The, you know, we've talked about sort of a couple of areas there. Um, inflation's another interesting topic. I, I just touched upon there, but you know, it's one of the few countries where inflation is welcome. So, if you think if you think about the last uh, 20, 30 years um, battling deflation, um, it, it means wages have been stagnant uh, across that period. It means companies haven't put up prices, and and so. Um, you know, the Bank of Japan has been aiming for 2% uh, inflation for an extended period. Well, we're now in the sort of three to four range, around about 3% at the moment. And and it means wages are going to begin to go up. There's an annual um, uh, round of um, wage negotiations that have just taken place and a three and a half percent rise in, in wages for um, uh, uh, um, employees within that um within that remit um we've seen companies begin to put up prices and that all, all oils the the wheels in a positive way uh, at least compared to sort of the a deflationary environment um you know talk about cash on japanese um uh corporate balance sheets uh 
made a lot of sense uh, in deflationary world. You know, that was uh, if, if what you're going to buy tomorrow is cheaper than today, then, you know, cash is a good investment and, and the same for retail investors. But with a bit of inflation that begins, to, you know, that dynamic begins to change. So, I mean, that that's one uh, positive. I'd say, you know, bear in mind where Japan is post COVID. Um, it's, um, uh, you know, it's uh, in a position now a little bit behind us, but, you know, in more of the reopening uh, 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 you know, reopening phase, and and I think that uh, that is also a, um, a potentially a, um, a a positive for the um, for the economy as a whole. Um, I think um, you know a couple of things um, to think about, though. Uh, you know, let's let's uh, let's uh, not be entirely positive about this. So on the one hand, you've got a region uh, that's done very well already. It is still a cheap market. But, you know, I, I told you there's a 19 percent return we saw um, we've seen year to date already. And I think the other one is, you know, there's been plenty of false storms in in um, in Japan and, and investors have been right to remain sceptical historically. And the question is, you know, ha, ha, have the things I talked about today, you know, are they are they really going to result in a, in a change? I, I'm I'm of the view that that this is a much more interesting time to be in, invested now. But uh, you know, you should always be aware of uh, as an investor that uh, you know, um, looking back in, in in terms of recent years, there will be plenty of uh, uh, somewhat scarred investors who who ha- you just haven't seen the returns that you you know have perhaps been promised. So um, yeah, um, interesting times, and 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 certainly, uh, whilst a smaller um, part of the um, uh, the global indices these days is still uh, a region worth taking a look at. That's brilliant. Thanks. Thanks, Nick. And uh, yeah, perhaps us investment managers here at the coalface shouldn't be so dismissive of Japan in our, in our portfolios moving forward. Sounds like it's a, a compelling argument there um, for the region. So that concludes everything uh, for today. So I'd like to thank you both for those great insights. And I'd like to thank everyone for listening as well. Did you enjoy our discussion on the podcast today? We'd love to hear from our listeners. So please review the show now, wherever you're listening and share it on your socials and tag us at Quilt Achieve It. To make sure you don't miss a future episode, tap the subscribe button. We'll be back next Tuesday. In the meantime, head over to our website, www.quiltachieveit.com, where you can read the accompanying market overview, as well as subscribe to our weekly comment newsletter. You can also stay up to date with our thoughts on market news, industry insights and our upcoming events and webinars on our website or on our social media pages. Finally, I am pleased to confirm the FT Advisors Service Awards are now open. We put advisors at the heart of our business and would be delighted if you could vote for us via their website. Voting closes on the 30th of June 2023. And that's it for today. So thank you to Richard and to Nick for your time and to all of you for listening. See you all next time.